0: another episode. Episode of Mormon Discussion. I am your host, Bill Real. I'm grateful to have you with us today. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. That's R E E L M O R M O N at Gmail dot com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, but you're only going to find the most recent twenty or so episodes. So please check out the podcast at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. dot That's Mormon Discussion all one word. P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com. You can also find us on Facebook under the name Mormon discussion all one word now to what you've been waiting to hear this is a special episode of rewind replay where we take earlier episodes in this podcast that are either favorites of mine or favorites of listeners and replay them since our audience today is tenfold bigger than it was in the first few months that this podcast ran and so this will give new listeners a chance to hear old episodes that uh, that I think are meaningful and are important to the discussion. And with that, this is the final part four of a four-part series that discusses at length the doctrine of Christ. So today we're going to go into part four of the doctrine of Christ. and So we will begin by talking about ordinances and move from there. So let's begin this way. Some time must be spent defining ordinances and their role within the realm of the plan of redemption. We are told some ordinances, such as baptism, confirmation, and those that take place within the temple, are saving ordinances. It's important that we're clear here that all saving ordinances are required, essential, and necessary. Some may read this talk and feel that all that counts is their heart. But you have to understand that if one's heart is yielded to God then it should not be difficult to expect that person to be willing to submit himself or herself to God's required covenant. It would be very easy to lump ordinances into the same category as works, which are covered in the next chapter. There are internal concepts such as faith, humility, repentance. There are also outward expressions such as home teaching, visiting team, family history, and paying tithing. Ordinances, while outward in their expression, are the way that we enter into covenants with Heavenly Father. It is how we sign the deal on our two-way promises with him. You see, each of these covenants are two-way promises. While outward, they should reflect an inner, inward commitment of eternal nature. These covenants we make with God have been revealed by Heavenly Father and must be done by one having authority from God. Baptism is an example of a covenant where we promise to be willing to take upon us the name of Christ and to serve him every day. In turn, he promises us his spirit to be with it. The covenant is made between a person and God when that person submits himself or herself to the outward action of going down into the water and being immersed by one having authority from God. These ordinances are also required... I'm sorry, these ordinances also require a set prayer of words to be said. These words were also established under the authority of God. These ordinances are markers whereby we can demonstrate our willingness at any given time in our life to submit to Him and to humble ourselves before Him. We, He has given us these for our benefit. And sometimes we don't see it that way. We see these ordinances as something that benefits God. They're not. They're for us. They help us to change, become Christlike. There are several reasons why ordinances exist. They teach us symbolically about about the Savior and His Gospel. They give us defining moments in our life where we have had to look inwardly at ourselves and are standing before God and perhaps progress in our spiritual growth or worthiness in order to be permitted to take part in the next marker in the gospel or next ordinance. They humble us as we strive to fit within the standard established for that ordinance. Another reason they provide an opportunity to covenant with Heavenly Father. I'm sorry. Another reason is that they provide an opportunity to covenant with Heavenly Father, thereby giving an added spiritual lift to strive to be christ Ordinances in the gospel are like graduation from school in this life. They give us a marked moment 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 in time when we can see we have reached a goal and have satisfied the outward action-based requirements that have been set. It is hoped that this outward expression reflects an inner commitment to the program. The ordinance hopefully reflects an inner growth as well as spiritual increase, bringing one's life closer to the Savior. God gives us these so that we, as His children, have things to work towards in order to be more like Him. God makes and keeps covenants. If we want to be like him, we will want to make and keep covenant as well. It must be said here, though, that God's value in the ordinances in the ordinances themselves is what does it do to bring his children home. That's the Lord's value on them that they help his children to become like him. It is not an outward expression of the ordinance by which He measures us; It is the inner commitment or mighty change within us that He is looking for as God looketh on the heart 1 samuel sixteen seven Heavenly Father uses works ordinances and any outward actions to give his children ways to measure their progress and as goals to move forward to in order to help us. He himself is truly measuring us by our growth in faith, humility, repentance, obedience, constant and consistent progression. The godly attributes are what will make us like him. Do we understand that? It's it's not our increase in home teaching or our increase in raking the neighbor's law, uh, yard or our increase in magnifying a calling outwardly. It's our growth in faith, humility, repentance, obedience, charity, and other godlike attributes that is the measuring stick by which our Father in Heaven is looking to to gauge where we're at. We need to understand that. So talking about works, so the entire time has been spent convincing you that works have no value in paying the debt that your sins and fallen nature has created. We have to understand there's a difference here. Your works have value. They do not have value in paying the debt. At times, works have been defined as the good deeds we do. At other times, it has been defined in talks and in scriptures as anything we do internal or outward for the purpose of following the following discussion we are talking about good deeds done by us so what is the purpose and value of good works or good deeds within the plan of salvation revelation 2012 has been used by many a mission and many a Sunday school teacher to prove we are judged predominantly by our works while I think it is true that our works have a part in the judgment we probably ought to be careful here there are some individuals who have progressed in a huge fashion pressing forward with steadfastness feasting upon the Word of Christ trying to do their best and yet outwardly it would appear as if they're making very little progress we need to understand too that there are some individuals who tend to be born with a good nature to make good choices but the effort that they make inwardly to continue to progress and make strides is very little and so when we teach someone that they are judged by works we need to be very careful how we teach that, that we're not implying that it is this outward standard that is being measured. It is not. It is the good things we're doing based on the inner chain. Again, God looketh on the heart. God judges us by the desires of our heart. It is by living the law of the gospel and turning our hearts to Christ and the Father that we find our name written in the book of life and inherit eternal life. Now while I seem to be writing off works to some extent. I admit this is not the case. James says several times that faith without works is dead and that rather than showing your faith without works, it is better to show your faith by your work. Paul was adamant that one that one's works not be used to boast of one's earning salvation. But we certainly can understand the value of works being an outward expression of an inner commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if one loves the savior, and truly wants to follow him. His actions will change as his heart does. Faith, without works, to follow it, shows that perhaps there really isn't a living faith there to begin with. Elder Gerald N. Lund stated in the April 1981 Enzyme, We are saved by grace, but our works of righteousness are essential to bring the gift of power into power in our lives. He further stated, We should continue to stress the importance of obedience, of repentance, of faith, and strive with all our hearts to demonstrate good works in our lives. Joseph F. Smith stated, Therefore it was by grace of God that they are saved, not by any work on their part, for they were absolutely helpless. Paul was absolutely right. And on the other hand, James taught, just as the Lord taught, just as Paul taught in other scripture, that it is our duty of necessity to labor, to strive in diligence and faith, keeping the commandments of the Lord, if we should obtain that inheritance which is promised to the faithful. Elder Bruce R. McConkie stated, Salvation is not in works, not even in those revealed of God but in Christ and his atonement. Now we must be careful as God judges and determines individually with each of us what amount of progress spiritually is real and valid and how that real faith might express itself. I know members who on an outward appearance are at least active members of the Lord they struggle i'm sorry i know members who on an outward exp- appearance are the least active members of the ward they struggle in sin they seem to be stuck in the mud regarding in regards to progress yet as a leader i have had the spirit bear sweet witness that these specific individuals were saved by grace that their hearts were turned that they were trying with all of their might to become like christ i have worked with other members who seem to be doing everything right and yet something is amiss Again, it is up to God to judge that final judgment and for each of us to be self-aware of where we are. Alma asked the people of Zarahemla if at one time in their life they had felt to sing the song of redeeming love. If they did, do they feel so now? We must each be introspective on a regular basis. We should examine our lives and see if God is still adding grace for grace in our life. We can better understand James' sermon within this paradigm. We can see that while many will claim to have faith but do nothing with it, It is by those whose faith and love of God drives them to service in his name whose faith is real and living within them. In other words, those who have drunk the living water are more more prone to be good at home and visiting teachers, pay a full tithing, magnify callings. They are more likely to serve their neighbor, give generous fast offerings, and love others with Christ-like love. The works are not the means to salvation's end, but they do evidence the saving grace of Christ and active faith within ourselves moroni seven fifteen through sixteen explains that the way to judge is to recognize whatever brings us closer to Christ is of God, and whatever takes us away from Christ is of the devil. The Saviour himself was the ultimate worker of righteousness and how can we not see that emulating his life of service and sacrifice is how we become like him to become like him is required if we want exaltation moroni 10:32 through 33 again reminds us that as we go through the process of putting off all ungodliness we shall move forward in the sanctification process and become perfect in christ our father in heaven has given us things to do in order to progress in becoming like him if we love him and truly want to be like him we will try to do all that he has asked we will do his works and they shall evidence our sanctification let's speak about enduring to the end as alma pointed out we need to be continually asking ourselves if we are currently in a state of grace if we feel the redeeming love of christ are we still pointed towards him and heading in the direction of god and his son Some may wonder why salvation can't be a specific moment, or think after that saving experience that nothing more is required. Some feel a simple confession with their lips and they are saved. Some in the church consider it good enough to have felt the added spiritual strength received from grace and do not look to keep it with them or to nourish it. Alma chapter 32 plainly teaches us about how we are to grow our faith, how we need to progress from fruit-bearing truth to fruit-bearing truth, growing in faith. And I would add also, growing in grace. The Gospel of John, chapter one, verse sixteen; Doctrine and Covenants, ninety-three, twelve through thirteen; and Helaman, twelve twenty-four, all teach grace for grace, or grace added to grace, as we progress towards the Son of God. But if we are not careful, we can fall from grace as well. Just as it can be added upon, it can be removed, portion by portion, as well. D and C twenty, verse thirty-two, warns us of living in such a way as to fall from grace. If we are raised in a celestial glory, with a celestial body, found to be worthy to be joint heirs with Christ, then we will need to set our hearts continually upon the Savior in the pure doctrine of Christ. Remember, faith is a continual process. Repentance is a continual process. Baptism is renewed each week, and we must daily live worthy of the Holy Spirit. The first principles and ordinances of the gospel are things that must be a continuing part of our lives by nature. In Lehi's vision, there were many who made it to the fruit. They had even partaken of it. Then, turning towards the great and spacious building, they were ashamed and went into forbidden paths and were lost. Verse Nephi, chapter 8, verse 28. While I could spend a lot of time describing what salvation holds in store for us, I feel the subject has been exhausted. I would rather take a few minutes and help you to see the simpleness of the plan of redemption and how exactly how simple it is. We are told the story of Moses as he held up the rod with the serpent on it. Any who wanted to be saved from the effects of the bite of the fiery serpent only had to look at the serpent upon the rod. We are told that many of them perished because they refused to look upon it. We are even told the reason for this decision. They had refused to look because of the easiness of it. The gospel symbolism should be jumping out at us. The serpent here is Christ. He, on the cross, having made an atonement for us, having provided a simple way, an easy way, faith, Repentance, receive ordinances, and keep trying every day, essentially to yield your heart to him, Helaman 3.35. It doesn't get any easier than that, and yet many in the church and out of it refuse to look to Christ in the way because of the easiness of it. They want to be measured by their works, thinking they are doing better than others. They don't realize no matter how good they are or how much they do it is not enough. In fact, King Benjamin said that even if you shall be in the service of your God every day, Doing all that you can do, you still shall be an unprofitable servant. Doing works simply for the value that one thinks they have is motivated by pride. The Savior is looking for humility. One who humbles himself and turns his heart over to Christ will have works motivated by his heart, and the works over time will have increased by God's grace. The Savior and Lucifer both were seen in the preexistent council as admirable. They were both ones others looked up to. In regard to their works prior to the rebellion, one could assume their works were similar. The difference was to be found in what motivated them, and to whom or what were their hearts yielded to. Lucifer's heart was full of pride and a desire to glorify himself. Lucifer wanted to return, wanted our return to be based on works. He saw a plan where we would all choose the right and all of us make it back. You see, the plan had each of us being judged by our works. Which works would have been perfect? If God truly desired a a works-based righteousness from his children, Satan would have presented the better plan. The Savior had yielded his heart and his will to Heavenly Father, and Jesus was full of humility. His way included agency, which meant mistakes would be made. His way included faith and repentance. It included a Savior who had laid down his own life so that mistakes could be forgiven and forgotten. God cares so much more for his children than we will ever comprehend or understand. And all he asked for is our heart, not our perfection, not now anyway, something to work towards correct. But this very moment, you don't need to be perfect to have the Holy Spirit. You don't need to be perfect to have God's approval. You certainly don't need to be perfect to have his love. But you can, through the baptismal covenant and through living other covenants, be perfected in Christ. If our heart is in the right place, then while it may take eternity, the perfection will come. We will have the time needed to become perfect if only we will begin this day and every day hereafter to head towards God and His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who hath laid down His life for us. 2 Nephi 31:19 through 21 clearly explains the principles laid out here. It is the pure doctrine of Christ. It is the only true doctrine for us to return to our Father, our Heavenly Father. I bear witness in the conclusion of this Doctrine of Christ set of episodes this podcast that it is truly the first principles and ordinances of the Gospel combined with other sacred covenants that we make in the Temple. But lead us back to our Father in heaven, might we focus a little less on our works and the works of those around us, and instead focus on the Saviour and trust in him? May I conclude by sharing a scripture out of second Nephi chapter four, verse seventeen through nineteen. Nevertheless, notwithstanding the great goodness of the Lord and showing me his great and marvellous works, my heart exclaimeth, "O wretched man that I am, yea, my heart sorroweth because of my flesh." My soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. I am encompassed about because of the temptations and the sins which do so easily beset me. And when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. Brothers and sisters, friends and family, I bear witness that it is only through the merits, mercy, and everlasting grace of Jesus Christ by which we are saved. And it is in him who we should place all of our trust. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.